Hey, thanks for taking time to listen to this week's episode. My guest this week on the show is Scott Jeffrey Miller. Scott has been in business for years, 27 years at Franklin Covey. He has a hugely successful leadership podcast. He's written seven books with number eight on the way. What's most impressive is Scott's work ethic, which you'll hear about today, helping him to generate income from multiple sources. Scott rises at 4 a.m., and hustles and generates a living doing what he loves to do. Scott is also partner and co-founder of Gray and Miller, representing some of the people you've heard as guests on this show, including Julian Treasure, Kim Scott, David Dye, Karen Hurt, Melina Palmer, and also many others I'd love to have on the show at some point. Scott has more than a handful of great tips about not being phased by setbacks of embarrassment and about perhaps some kind of voice in your head which tells you you haven't got something worth sharing. So the message today is to get out there, to get followers, to share what you know with people who care about what you do and what you think, and watch how you'll build a business and a following. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, it's another episode of the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches, people like you and me. And the business focus here is on you making money, monetizing your programs, your workshops, your courses, your experience, your knowledge. Maybe you have your own expertise business, selling some of the things I've mentioned, or maybe you're thinking of starting one, and you're on the cusp of doing so. Either way, this is the place to be every Thursday because we've got all kinds of guests who've done that. They're LinkedIn instructors, they're keynote speakers, they're successful authors, and wherever you are on that journey, you're gonna get great advice from listening to people. So if you've not yet subscribed, please click on follow or subscribe right now to be notified of great episodes as they come out. It costs absolutely nothing and takes only a couple of seconds. Scott, welcome to the show. Mark, it's my honor. Thank you for the spotlight and the platform today. Uh, we've just been kind of riffing off air and uh, before we clicked record, and we found out that we were in Disney at the same time, uh, way back when. Um, you're quite a prolific author. And I want to start with your origin story, which will then bring us up to today's uh, date, what you're doing right now. Um, how did you get into being a thought leader, into deciding, you know what, I'm going to make a living from what I know and, and share that from the stage and make a living doing so? How many hours? I'll condense it to <laughs> a few minutes. Uh, uh, started my career at the Walt Disney Company, born and raised in Orlando, Florida. wasn't passionate about Disney, but it was mm. obviously a robust hometown employer. I yeah. took a role there on the, on the real estate development side. And then after four great years, unlike you, they invited me to leave. <laughs> so I was not the right fit for the culture. So I was young, right? In college, I think I was 23 to 26, something like that. And yeah. so where does a single Catholic boy from Orlando move? Well, of course, to Provo, Utah, where all the single Catholics were. That's a joke nice. if anybody's ever been to nice. or knows about Utah, right? So <laughs> yeah. what happened is Stephen Covey, one of the world's most preeminent thought leaders on leadership, recruited me to come out. And 
had an amazing 25-year career with the Franklin Covey Company, lived around the world, moved from literally the front line to the C-suite, where I was the chief marketing officer for 10 years and the executive vice president of thought leadership, basically making a lot of people rich and famous, except for myself. And what happened one day is as the chief marketing officer, one of my many roles was to help curate the thought leadership. What kind of books should we write? Who should be the publisher? Who should be the authors? What's the point of view? How to market and design the go-to-market strategy. And there was one day, Mark, where I was helping to formulate a new leadership book. And I'd hired a consultant to come in who was a former associate in the company in good standing. And we were brainstorming this new book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team. And I had identified three associates in the firm. And the more we kept talking about it, she kept saying to me, wait, you should be writing this book. I said, no, 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 no. I'm like the producer, director. I don't go out on stage. No one will like that if I rise up, whatever, whatever. And she kept pushing me saying, no, I'm listening to you. Organize this book. This should be you. I kept deferring. And finally, I thought, maybe she's right. I mean, why do I have to be behind the curtain? Why do I have to be in the ticket box? Why can't I be on stage? Now, listen, I have a pretty big personality and no one would call me a shrinking violet. But I went to the CEO, we talked about it, and then I wrote that book. It was not my first book. I wrote a book just prior to that. But it was really me just recognizing that I was as competent as everybody else. I had hired and fired and been hired and been hired and had tough conversations. And at that point, 25 years struggling as a leader in the world's most preeminent leadership development firm. My experience was different to me. Leadership was not natural for me. I wasn't a natural leader. It was tough. I I said a lot of wrong things that had a lot of old paradigms. And so I wrote a whole series of books about who should be a leader and who shouldn't. What does that look like? How to manage your career? How to get a mentor? And so I think it helped to have a little bit of an inflated sense of self-confidence. But I think my success has come from just really trying to speak my authentic voice on my own journey and not try to be everything to everyone. I found people like me that were great individual contributors that had been lured or led into leadership. And I spoke about all of my challenges and those people gravitated to become my buyers, my listeners, my followers. I took Seth Godin's advice. Don't try to find your largest viable market, find your smallest viable market. And that's what I did. It's been proven to be successful for me. What does that mean for people listening? Find your smallest viable market. And Seth Godin, by the way, for people listening, is a well-known writer on um, all things marketing-related, linchpin, purple cows, all that kind of stuff. What does that mean, smallest viable market? I think it's counterintuitive, right? I mean, most of us that have been to business school or been Mm. taught in marketing, we think about the total addressable market. How big is the market? What is the largest market? Mm -hmm. And what happens is we try to be all things to every people and we don't get circumstance based in our targeting. So what Seth really teaches and sophisticates his thinking, if you're not subscribing everyone to Seth Godin's daily email blog, you should go to sethgodin.com. He's a very fine human being and a genius leadership marketing business mind. He teaches, you know, why do you want 100,000 customers? Wouldn't you rather have one customer or two customers? Now, probably not one customer because that would be 100% of your business that could disappear. But he says, you want to find the people that are in the same circumstance you are. 
use their words, use their phraseology, know their pain, and really understand what is their unique circumstance. And instead of trying to be in the business of 800 circumstances or 80 circumstances. So Seth really taught me that it takes an unnatural level of discipline and often an unnatural level of courage and focus to say, listen, I'm going to speak to people that are in this circumstance. I'm going to go deep. I'm going to address their pain. I'm going to have an interesting take on solving their problem. And I'm not going to worry about everybody else that thinks I'm a fool or thinks that I'm a gadfly or thinks that I'm a know-it-all. I'm going to get deep. And it takes a lot of discipline to say, these are my people. And I'm going to build a cult following around those 80,000 people, not try to be everything to 800,000 people because it won't work. And if you look at the most successful authors in the world, and I'm a talent agent, I represent about 250 of them. What they all have in common is they have owned a topic, brain health, the science behind marketing, how to build a robust business plan, how to host a podcast, how to create a side hustle. The most influential thought leaders, Liz Wiseman, Dan Pink, mm-hmm. Susan Kane, Kim Scott, right? These are... Um, Thomas Erickson, they've picked a niche and they own it. I think it's a genius piece of advice from Seth Godin. Your smallest viable market, not your largest viable market. And the key word is viable, of course, meaning that it has right. to be something which generates right. 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 income it can't results. Be, it can't be you know, people from Cameroon who like planting pansies above 4,000 feet. My sense is that's a very small market, right? But it needs to be a, a circumstance circumstance focused, like honestly, to ask your question, what is the circumstance that I have expertise in that there are enough people who also are struggling with it? And is my experience and point of view valuable enough them for them to take their time and their resources to hire me to solve it? That's really the question. So you've written a bunch of books. Um, you are still working. You're at Gray. And Miller and you. Gray Miller, it's a speaking literary and talent agency that I'm a co-founder of. Okay. So someone listening thinks, you know what? I have a book or I would like to have a book. Let's say they have a book. How do they get taken credible, credibly seriously by an agency like yours that would say, you know what? It's worth having you on stage representing you and, and presenting you to people who will pay to come along and, and hear you speak or hear your material. Yeah. I love that you asked that question. A couple of thoughts. Write your book. Do not be intimidated by the number of cookbooks that are published or leadership books or books on marketing, right? There'll be 2,000 cookbooks published this year. There'll be 800 leadership books published and next year and the year after. So don't let anyone else scare you off. You really want to be thinking about, you know, what's the problem you're solving? And is it big enough for people to want to solve? And what is your unique and interesting take on solving that problem? Are you credible? Do you have a unique point of view on solving a culture problem or a leadership problem or a go-to-market strategy or an email marketing? Like, What's your unique take? And then do you have the chops to go out and bring your book to life? Because publishers do three things. They edit, they print, and they distribute your book. That's it. You write it and you market it. They generally do very little for you. So you've got to be an entrepreneur. You've got to be a salesperson. You've got to have a tenacious sense of going out and being on hundreds of podcasts. I do four or five a day. 
You've got to be on hundreds of radio programs and TV programs and LinkedIn and TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Yes, all of the platforms and the YouTube channel. So when we hire someone, we take someone on, it's A, we think they have a credible point of view on solving a viable topic that we think they can both write and speak and that they are willing to put in the reps and the hours, not just to write the book. Writing a book is insanely difficult and fatiguing and tiresome. It's 15% of the effort. The real effort comes in in launching that book and sustaining it long-term and also figuring out how to monetize it. Because as you know, there's no money in writing books. Like eight people are making a living selling books. You make a dollar a book, if even that. The money is from keynote speaking and monetizing your book and consulting and courses and and, 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 and programs and training and that kind of thing. And so you want to think very carefully about before you start writing your book, how, wh- why are you doing it? Is it a memoir? Is it a psychological expulsion of your trauma that you never intend to publish that you want to leave a legacy? You want to build a keto business. You want to lift your podcast. It doesn't matter the reason, but you want to be very clear on why you're writing the book and then write the book to promote that end in mind. Because if you're writing a book to build your keynote business, write it with that purpose. If you're writing your book to build a consulting business or an online course business, write it with that point in mind. First why, then what, and maybe first why, then how, then what. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that's helpful. It is, yes. So someone has the chops, they have the willingness to put in the reps, they have a book, it's done or it's almost done. And now they want to maximize revenue opportunities from that. You've mentioned a bunch of things there. Now, not everyone can be on YouTube and ace it and also be on TikTok and ace that because they're different platforms. Um, If someone wants to do the basics and at least get some success from that, some low-hanging fruit, where would they start? Well, you can be on all of those. It just depends on how hard you work. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I'm on them all and, you know, I know what it takes. Um, mm-hmm. So here's a couple of pieces of advice. One is, like you, I'm privileged to host a podcast. The podcast that I host is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. And I'm privileged to interview best-selling authors and business titans and celebrities all day long. The thing they have in common is an indefatigable work ethic. They're not workaholics, but these movie stars, these four-star generals, these business titans, they have an indefatigable work ethic. And they are on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, and Facebook, and LinkedIn, and they're writing columns and articles. They're doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they're doing too much. But I would argue that you probably should have a consistent cadence at whatever you do. If you're on TikTok, great, post three times a day. If you're on LinkedIn, great, post every day. If you're on Facebook and LinkedIn, great, post two times a day on each platform, something different. Pick what is your best medium. If you're great on camera, you ought to be on TikTok or Instagram, you know, reels. If you're great at writing, you probably should be writing short form blogs on LinkedIn three times a week. Maybe you ought to have a daily email newsletter. I think the key is consistency. Don't start it one day and then come back eight days later and then do two in two days. It's consistency, right? Every Tuesday at three o'clock for four years and you will build a following. No excuses. Podcast that I host, has 300 episodes released every Tuesday, six years, 6 a.m., never a miss. All through the pandemic, all through child, my wife's childbearing, all through 
earthquakes and traumas and, and, and flus and, 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 and whatever it was, I showed up. And now it has become this, you know, significant influence because I built a cadence. I did it on audio and video like yours, which is horrifying, right? Because I had to look decent and, and taping a podcast on video is a lot harder than on audio because you have different audiences. But I did that to share the video clips and all of my social media. I built a juggernaut um, talent agent out of all these relationships. I was very strategic about the value I was adding. Yes, there's lots of problems. Yes, I have a stutter. No, I'm not a great communicator. <laughs> I'm not especially good looking, right? No, so many strikes against me. What I had was courage and ins- an insatiable desire to improve and learn, a tenacious, indefatigable work ethic, and a cadence that I never interrupted. I'm not a great interviewer. I'm not a really intelligent person. I mean, I think I'm sufficiently smart, but I'm not, you know, a genius mind. I just followed some simple business practices, pivoted frequently, and it's built a brand that I've been able to monetize and also add value, I hope, to people that are following me. None of it was rocket science. Just kept doing it, kept going, never stopped. So let's come to the the, the interesting part, which is monetization. Um, People have said, yeah, you know what? Getting onto a speaker list is hard because there are so many agencies and I'm bottom of the pile. And then... You know, it'll take a long time to build up enough people on on YouTube. If there's one thing that um, would be a great, fresh, or easy start, first step for someone to to go right, I, I can monetize this. You know, not just get leaders or sorry followers or clicks or likes, but I've actually got a stream of revenue coming in. To me, that that is that happens when I'm on stage speaking. I always get something as a connection, an introduction, a referral, always. But I wouldn't say I monetize that. That's more of a leading indicator. Enough gigs on stage that the lagging indicators are the things that uh, you know put money in the bank. What's that for you? Uh, well, it's a couple of things for me, right? I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit of a unique circumstance. So mm-hmm. I have uh, I have multiple deliberate income streams that fluctuate wildly. Mm-hmm. I, I, I retired from Franklin Covey, but did so in a way. That allowed me to have a three-year consulting arrangement with them. I still host podcasts for them. I advise them on their strategy. They've outsourced their speakers bureau to my agency. So I was very clear not to burn any bridges and to hold my tongue and to be a good partner. And so I still have an income stream from Franklin Covey, but to your, which is not my biggest income stream by any stretch, but it's solid and it allows me to stay you know, close to the company, the market. What I have done is obviously I've written several books, right? And I I sell books. And so once you've written several books, you've got some royalty streams coming in and many of them are being translated into foreign languages. Again, I'm not buying a Bentley on my book revenue, but it obviously drives uh, my speaking business. So when you have you know this number of books and you're picking up speaking on each of them, uh, my speaking business is quite robust. I used the relationships from the podcast that I host to then sign those people into my talent agency. And so I'm now selling them as speakers and representing them on their book deals and their television programs. So I've been able to monetize, not as a primary lens. I I don't think any of the people who know me well would say, oh, Scott's out to make money on every deal. It's simply not true. It may feel like that to some people, but it's patently wrong. I'm out to use... My talents, which is as a networker and to create social currency to monetize it for everyone. And so what I've done is I built a series of courses, right? I mean, this yellow book 
has a course behind it. It's called Career on Course. It has an online course that you can download and pay 79 US dollars to make your career. Uh, this book, Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship, right? It has a mentorship certification. And so I'm on six phone calls every day as a guest on a podcast. I'm on four or five prospecting calls every day with directors of talent, with chief learning officers, or you know, vice presidents of mentoring at universities, having calls where I'm selling my mentorship certification program. I'm selling it myself as a keynote. So, I mean, my schedule is you know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day booked in 15-minute intervals. When I'm doing prospecting calls, I'm giving virtual keynotes. Yesterday, I did a, you know, I did a 60-minute keynote to a major technology company about mentoring. Next week, I'm out doing three live keynotes. One of them is 14000 one of them is 8000 and one of them is for $2,000. Dollars. Dollars, U.S. dollars. Right. Yep. So not every one of them is $15,000 or $20,000. I mention that because I'm willing to go wherever it is if it makes sense to my audience and to, you know, who might be able to also engage with me in the future. The next week, I have no keynotes. That's not true. I have actually lots of keynotes the next week, but maybe it's the next week. But my right. point is, I'm willing to go where the opportunities are because, like you said, everything spawns something. And then if I'm speaking to 800, you know, human resource officers, the odds that some of them are going to come back and promote my course or hire me to keynote in their business. So what I've done is I have, I have uh, written books, which will give me a long-term revenue royalty stream. I try to uh, translate them into foreign languages so that when my book is in South Korea and I go to Asia, I've got three or four keynotes there. I then monetize them into courses. I do a lot of different things. Some of them are very smart and some of them are idiotic, but I learn what's good and worth my time. And it's and none of it as is as successful as it may appear on social media, right? It's just <laughs> learning constantly and, and, and yeah. well, that's a waste of my time or I really like to them. I'm not making much money there, but I, but I enjoy that and I like that partner. I'm going to keep doing that, right? So not everything I, not everything I do has been monetized by any stretch. So here's the thing. We'll wrap up on this point. People often say to me, oh man, you're so lucky you get to go to Pasadena or wherever and, and you travel and you stay in hotels. It's all paid for it, yada, yada. Um, and then they hear, oh my goodness, the, the alternative to you know, working for an employer is that I've got to do all this grind and hustle. And 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. sounds like work. It sounds like more work than I'm currently doing. You know, what would you say to people who are thinking about, you know, the grass is always greener, but is it having done both, having led at, at CMO level and now working for yourself to that level? Are you glad you made the jump? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I was burnt out. Uh, I had an amazing career at Franklin Covey. I love those people. Most of them love me. I was burnt out. I needed to do something different. And so I'm grateful for all the opportunities I have and I have created them, right? I mean, I, I mean, when someone sees a book, they don't know that for, you know, 3000 hours, I spent every Saturday morning from 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. with the door closed, writing that book, or I fell into bed for three weeks at midnight, exhausted because of all the edits that were coming in and all mm. the deadline and the website and the podcast and the copy editing and getting the getting the cover right and all the SEO and the Google analytics and the social media post. I mean, and all the endorsements. I mean, it's been a massive work. It's all worthwhile 
when someone sends me an email and says on page 72 of your book that you wrote four years ago, that article you wrote about that, that, that paragraph you wrote about how you really screwed up a one-on-one meeting and gave someone feedback that they went to HR and complained about you. Oh my gosh, I did that. And that your willingness to share that and how you made it right. I went and did that and I saved my job. And I need my job because I don't love it, but I've got to pay for my kids, you know, cancer treatments, mm-hmm. honest to God, all the time. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it. Fantastic. I have to ask you then, where can people find out more about you? And I think we have the answer already. It's uh, all your books, right? And it's uh, well, so I'm privileged to have, um, yeah, I've written mm. seven books. Uh, you can find me on every social media platform. The podcast is On Leadership with Scott Miller. You can also visit scottjeffreymiller.com and you can see the uh, LinkedIn columns and Inc. Magazine columns that I've written. Listen, I am not as smart as the majority of people that have are listening to your podcast. If you have an idea for a book or a podcast or a column, just go do it. I, I, I have a unique ability not to be embarrassed. <laughs> I, 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 it doesn't bother me if you don't think I write good stuff or I'm not a great speaker, but I think I'm decent all of that. But I just keep going. I just, I, I don't, I, I, um, embarrassment is not a gene that I possess. I choose to show courage and vulnerability and stamina, and it works for some, it doesn't work for others. You're not going to be everything to everyone. Get your message, shore it up, practice it, write about it, speak about it, build your cadence, and your following will come. Excellent advice. Scott, thank you so much for being my guest on the show today. What an honor. Fantastic interviewer. I love your your cadence and the style of your calm hosting brings out the angst in people like me. So fantastic match. Thank you, Mark. My pleasure. My thanks to Scott for being my guest this week on the show. You can find out more about Scott by visiting his LinkedIn profile at Scott Jeffrey Miller. You can visit his website, which is scottjeffreymiller.com. And you can also check out the agency, which we talked about today, which is graymilleragency.com. All links Of course, we'll be over at trainingbusiness.com where you'll find all episodes past, present, and future. We'd love you to come back again next Thursday. So please click on follow or subscribe and we'll see you then. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.